Welcome to Bottom Line with Bob and Kendall Ehrlich. Before we get to our special guest, we're going to talk a little education. Well, we're going to promote the book first. Oh, matter? we are. <laughs> I didn't. We usually do that last. But oh, do it first and last. This is a big week coming up. This is the week. It it's is. coming out. We know you've been waiting. You pre-ordered. Please. You just asked me off camera. You asked me for a copy of the book. Original, <laughs> unconventional, and inconvenient. Well, I might have to go on eBay. <laughs> I'm still looking for a job. Anyway, here, Whoa. Governor Bob Ehrlich. You don't have to call me governor. We're married. <laughs> this is a must for all your Christmas presents. Get one for everybody. Yes. All of your family members need it, no matter what their persuasion. <laughs> Certainly your family will need it. That's for sure. That's for sure. So it will be operational, which means on Amazon, available on the 23rd. On the 23rd. That is next week. Two days before my birthday, by the way. I know. You didn't have to remind <laughs> and me. And don't give me my book for my birthday. <laughs> anyway. It, um, your birthday's on Thanksgiving this year, so you get a great dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess we'll be calling somebody in for that. Anyway, uh, before we get to our special guest this week, we have to comment on the latest embarrassments, episodes, chapters of the federalization of local school board politics we've talked about this we just saw what went down particularly in virginia babe when local school boards and curricula and uh chilling speech chilling free speech chilling the first amendment became the topics of the day it cost terry mcauliffe a race yes it did thankfully it almost contributed to an incredible upset in New Jersey, as we know. So we have uh, some latest here uh, with respect to uh, this storyline. We have a whistleblower, allegedly. Now, you'll recall when the phony letter from the National School Board Association got uh, generated uh, associating these parents showing up to protest with potential domestic terrorism, which was just it's outrageous. horrific. There was a call for units to be put together, to be generated with respect to FBI agents uh, and the Justice Department to investigate. Hey, guess what? We got real terrorists coming across the border every day. Please, let's put our attention there. So this week we have a whistleblower uh, alleging that parent threat assessments, literally parent threat assessment units, are being put together when the Attorney General just a week or two ago said to Congress in open testimony that was not going to be the case. So we shall see. We also have, just two days ago, a story brewing concerning Arizona, whereby the Arizona Attorney General has written a letter to uh, the Attorney General, Garland, with respect to uh, an investigation into, allegedly, a Scottsdale school board member uh, collecting parents' personal information (laughs) in a dossier in order to what? Chill their speech. In order to what? Discourage them from showing up at local school board meetings. To what? To discourage them from speaking out on, on issues relevant to parents and their children in public schools. This is crazy. It's really crazy, but to send that to the attorney general who's putting, asking the FBI to do parent threat uh, assessments, I, I think that, that it might not go very far. So there's two issues here. One, this direct attack on local control. 
but to me, to us, the issue really is far larger, which is a direct threat to free speech. A, right. A, a, a intent, a campaign to chill free speech. And criminalizing parents. Criminalizing parents. When it comes to their education that they're paying for. With and, their tax dollars. Well, and we're the liberals. We ask this every show, every day, every week, every month. Bill Maher. Bill Maher, well. Bill Maher good point, is good a point. real liberal. Good I point. saw him on CNN this week, and uh, although, of course, he became a liberal again <laughs> the way we don't like. <laughs> he goes but, in and out. But he does go in and out, but on this education issue and parent issue, he is very good, and he recognizes that this is not the traditional liberal way because the traditional liberal way wanted free speech. You know, he probably protested yeah, Berkeley, 40 years ago. Berkeley was about for free, speech. free speech. The anti-war movement, the women's movement, uh, the civil rights movement, we're all about dissent, all about speech, all about free speech, all about the right to assemble and protest and dissent. So, again— He also had a lot to say about critical race theory uh, because he, he thinks that— uh, you know, pitting people against each other isn't the way to go. No. Imagine that. So, again, we've talked about this. We'll continue to talk about it. It is a huge issue in American politics today going forward. I just don't know why the progressive left, who just got hammered, punished, hammered in two blue-leaning states, one, a very strong blue state, New Jersey, wants to continually go back to, to this issue. But, again, they think and Recent history has shown them to be correct that to the extent they control the classroom, they can control the narrative as these kids get older. Well, COVID woke everybody up, all the parents up to that. It sure did. A little silver lining to COVID. Now, we have a guest this week who's never been called a liberal. Uh, <laughs> my friend, Kevin Garvey. Kev, how you doing? I'm fine. How about you? We grew up together. Uh, we uh, are Butis kids, are Butis Maryland. Uh, you have had a very successful career in the supply chain for 33 years. You are an expert in our view with respect to what's going on in this country today as this really non-sexy issue that nobody particularly cared about. We just took for granted in our prosperous free society, the shells are full and the truck drivers are out there doing their job and the longshoremen are doing their job and Things come in, and we have this prosperous country, and, and, and we go to the grocery store, and it's all there. You've lived 33 years in this life. You are a supply chain expert in our view. Also an expert on, on, uh, on HR, which is a totally separate issue. We'll, get, we'll do another show on that. But you've sent us uh, sort of a white paper you put together with respect to what's going on in our country today, and we have some very specific questions. So. How real, you see some folks in Washington, Kev, how uh, seeking to uh, minimize. Uh, minimize is the word, thank you, dear, to minimize the issue. How real is the crisis in your view? Well, first of all, I hope your new book is not on one of those boats coming from China. So I hope that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the crisis is a crisis because um, we're letting it be one. Um, there's, there's no, no disputing the fact that the inbound uh, maritime volume coming to the United States is at an all-time high, probably 30 to 35 percent, maybe even 40, depending on what pundits you talk to, above projected volume uh, coming out of the pandemic and folks being reengaged in the workforce. 
Okay, that's an issue. The issue that the talking heads, uh, the so-called experts that are on the evening news, they're not talking about the issues that are driving this. And I come from an operations background. I would venture to say that most of the folks that are answering these questions haven't been anywhere near an operation in their life. Right. Okay. And everyone knows in the cargo and the freight business, everything is about production and efficiency. Okay. But no one's mentioning that the ports of LA and Long Beach, according to uh, the World Bank ranking, are like number 320 and 330 ranked in productivity and efficiency in the world amongst all the major ports in the world. That's how bad they are. Okay, let me just interrupt. Let's just, you've gone right into where we want to go. This is the first issue you brought up. So let's go run them down in order with respect to why what is occurring is occurring in the United States today. And your first is inefficient port operations, correct? That's correct. And then if you go, if you go just a little bit north of Long Beach or a little bit north of uh, LA and you you look at the, the, the Oakland port, Oakland, okay, could be offering assistance and relief, but their operation is running even worse because that Port Authority instituted a automated um, management system for the, uh, the port. That is an absolute disaster. No one's talking about that. They have truck drivers waiting in line at the gate for four to six hours waiting to pick up a container. Waiting. And if the queue that they're assigned to by this management system expires while they're waiting, they have to go back and get in line. Are you kidding oh me? Gosh. Are you serious? No. And, and really, I mean, most, most folks that aren't in the business don't understand that a lot of the, especially in, in California, uh, there's 13,000 drivers that serve that port in the state of California, those ports in the state of California. And most of those, those poles where they're going to take a container are short poles. They're going to maybe the airport. They're going to a railhead. A lot of them go to the railhead. Mm-hmm. A lot of them go to major distribution centers for UPS, FedEx, Amazon. You know the list as well as I do. Uh, and they should be making three or four turns a day, meaning go pick up a container, take it to the rail yard, come back and get another and do it four times. Now they're lucky if they get one. Wow. And in Oakland, you know, these trucking companies and brokerage firms are actually laying off drivers because they can't get the work to them. They can get them in line, but they can't get work on their truck. Uh, so that's, that's one port immediately nearby that could be offering relief if it was running efficient. So that's inefficient port operations, efficiency simply missing, the, the, their system's just not optimal, correct? Now, you have pointed out, others have pointed out, the shortage of truck drivers is part of this equation, but you have told me that this is not new. This issue's been around for decades. Actually, probably close to 20 years now, and that's where my HR people come in because I was directly related to all the hiring of the CDL drivers, and I had responsibility for that. And there has been a shortage, and everyone in the industry knows it. And the gap between the supply and demand for qualified CDL drivers content has widened every year for the last 20 years. There's no question about that. Um, and no one addressed that until now. Um, okay, yes, it's an issue, but the supply chain 
and companies that are in the supply chain have built in flexibility in their operational design. And I, I'm going to use UPS as an example, but there are many other companies, including well, Amazon. You know, UPS does anybody, so. Yeah, exactly. They, um, they flex when they get volume increases. They extend shifts. They add more work days. They add a third shift, so they're running 24 hours a day. And the same thing when the volume um, retracts, they do the same thing. They cut out a shift. They cut hours back. They flex to meet the demand. And am I saying that that would be the solution to the 100 plus ships that involve the California coast right now? No, but it sure would minimize it and make it manageable. Kev, these truckers make really good money, really good money. So why the shortage? Well, um, I can't prove this, but I go back to 9-11. This is when I really first started noticing the, the expansion of the shortfalls for CDL drivers because most CDL drivers in this country work for a company, okay? They work for a company, they get paid benefits, uh, they have excellent pay, most of them. However, most of them are gonna be away from home, they're gonna be working at night, they might be running cross country or running regional. And it was, in my, opi in my opinion, I think that that changed because people started focusing more on wanting to be home. They wanted to be home at night with their family. They wanted to go watch their, their daughter play softball or their son play football. They didn't want to be on the road three days a week or five days a week. And I think that's where you see this trend now. Uh, there's the, the real issue, and I know we're going to get it to you here shortly, is with this assembly bill that they passed in, in California. We're going to get to that next. We're going to get to yeah. That. yeah, I mean, it, it's... Well, this is the time because labor relations, this particular bill, uh, what's it, House Bill 5, out in California, it's now in the courts. So tell us about this bill. We've seen uh, blue states, union states do this in the past, uh, basically attack the concept of independent contractors, uh, trying to unionize more workers in, in the workforce, precisely what this bill does. Talk about the impact with respect to that movement on this issue. Well, there are a lot of little pieces to that uh, AB5, um, but the one that's that's the ticking time bomb right now, because you know it's been, it was put before the Supreme Court and uh, rejected. And then it, the suit, I think it's the California Truckers Association filed suit. They're still waiting for the Supreme Court to take a position on whether or not they're going to hear it. Mm -hmm. If they do not, then it becomes enforceable immediately. And the part that's uh, alarming and the ticking time bomb part of it that I'm, I'm referring to is the piece that there are 13. 15,000 truckers, as I mentioned before, that serve the ports of Long Beach and LA. Only a couple hundred of them are employed with a trucking company. The rest of them are independent drivers or independent contractors. They get a 1099. They get paid on the, the load, by the load, what they deliver, what they pick up and deliver. So this goes into effect. They have a what they're calling a litmus test, the ABCs. Um, I'll actually read it to you word for word because I don't want anybody to say I, I was misquoting the intention behind this. And you can see how many gray areas are in this. So all three of these criteria have to be met for someone to, to qualify as an independent contractor in California. The first one is worker is independent of a hiring organization in connection with the performance of the work, both under the contract for the performance of the work and in fact. So that sounds like a warranty to me. 
the first 27 pages, they give you the world in the last three sentences in the finest print, they take it away. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Number two, the worker performs work that is outside the hiring entity's business. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and the last one. Of course, that can't, be met, that can't be met because they're truckers. Right. And in, in, so this is open for 100% interpretation of the enforcement agency. Yeah. So they can do almost California anything. California Enforcement Agency. Yep. A bunch of lawyers are going to get very rich on this thing. Well, yeah, get to the third, because I want to ask my uh, my legal eagle wife a question here. So you get to the third element here. I always thought she was smart. <laughs> Everybody knows that. The person is routinely doing work in an independently established trade, occupation, or business that is the same as the work being requested and performed. Okay. Yeah, they're truck drivers. Yeah. They're going to haul trailers. You know, they might be 40,000 pounds. They might be 80,000 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, that's what they are. So it's so, the, the terminology and qualifications are so general. Yeah, it's big, just, it, very big. Yep. Purposely, so my dear, um, as two lawyers sitting here, one, you're talking about interference with contractual rights, but most of all, you're talking about interference with interstate commerce. So you would think that this, what Kevin just read, is not constitutional, is not going to pass constitutional muster. Well, it's really so vague. I mean, you, you can argue and, you know, there's potential loopholes, I guess, that people will be working on. People need to remember the bottom line here, which is labor's intent to create more union members in order to create more union dues, in order to create more dues going to Democratic candidates. That's, that's what this is all about, Kev. You know it. I know it. We know it. And... Uh, it's, well, I it's, hope that the Supreme Court takes this so that there'll be some sort of guidance regarding it and uh, we can get more more truckers out there. We saw this same issue with uh, fast food franchisees. It, it, regardless of the sector of the economy, uh, labor is going to continue to do this. So, Kev, are other, Kevin, are other states uh, having similar bills pop up or are they staying away from it? Well, um, what I'm hearing through the grapevine is everyone's got their ear to the ground to see how this one plays out. Oh, yeah. But I, I, I would almost bet the ranch that if it plays out the way the California legislature expects it to play out, that New York and New Jersey are going to be right behind it. Sure, uh -huh. sure. Kev, two final questions for you. If, uh, if, if you were king today... What would you do to fix this problem? Well, first of all, I would look at the ports that have excess capacity right now. And everyone says, oh, yeah, here he goes. He's going to say, send them to the East Coast, through the Panama Canal, extend the trip by seven days and all that extra money. Yeah, that would be one of my solutions. But there's another immediate solution, and that is the port of Tacoma and Seattle, Washington, have are being underutilized from a capacity standpoint that's right up the coast. On top of it, what do we do at all of our airports? We control inbound, outbound flights all the time. So the administration, we don't need California to do this. We need the, the president and his administration to do this. Limit the inbound volume to California until they figure out better solutions. Okay? Secondly, I mean, you've got Jacksonville, you've got Houston, uh, Savannah is a little bit underwater right now, but Norfolk is not, and neither is the Port of Baltimore. The only delay you see in the Port of Baltimore ships because 
there's this quarantine required. If any ship member shows uh, signs of COVID-19, they have to be quarantined for 10 to 12 days. So those right. ships are sitting out there at the Bay Bridge, not waiting, because you talk to the longshoremen that, uh, down at the ports in Baltimore and said, no, we can handle anything that comes in, look good. They got modern cranes, they're ready to go. Uh, yeah, new, new cranes just went under that bridge. It was fascinating to watch. Absolutely, absolutely. And whereas you go to the labor agreement that was negotiated, those two ports in Southern California, the union must love them. Okay, first of all, the union, the, the contract specifically states that they will not have a third shift and another eight hour shift, okay, and that their union members will not work weekends. Wow. There goes that ability to flex the supply chain, yes. need flexibility, and they took it away in the contract. Kev, last question. How long is this going to last? We, we were talking about on the right jokes that, uh, the Biden administration's the Grinch that stole Christmas. We're gonna have crying three-year-olds with uh, nothing under the Christmas tree. You've seen warnings from the administration with respect to how long this problem could uh, could remain. So, what's your thought? Or when, when do things return to quote unquote normal? I think the ball is in their court. To be honest with you, uh, I don't think the volume is going to subside. I think it's the it's it's the new factor that you're dealing with with how how people buy and and, and procure things and and acquire them, uh, and as long as the vast majority of these products are being being made overseas, um, they're going to continue to order. Now that brings up a good point though, Bob, because if one of the solutions that I thought about is put a premium on a portage in California, you want to bring your your container ship into the port of California, that's fine. You're going to bring it into Long Beach or LA, it's a $5 million portage fee. Sure. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, is yeah, it, it's, that's the it's, thing. That'll get things and, more flexible. Yeah, and that that's that's important because all of a sudden, maybe you can be, maybe I can go to Tacoma or Seattle or to Jacksonville or to Houston or to Norfolk or to, maybe I can. And guess what? The companies that are paying that premium because they really need to be in California, um, well, we take their portage fees and we give that incentive to the uh, companies that are willing to move their volume. Because all these major ports have big railheads. That's where most of where a lot of that cargo is going on a train. And they all have major railheads. I didn't mention a single one that didn't have a major railhead. So, Kev, you're talking about political leadership and more specifically political will here. The, the, the will to impose flexibility, if you will. Hey, my guy, Governor DeSantis, he spoke up. He said, we'll take you. Come here. He's the new Santa Claus. He's the, right. He's saving. <laughs> He's not the Grinch. He's not the Grinch. Okay. Any final words from you on, on this? This is such a huge issue now in our country, particularly with truckers. And this issue concerning truckers is going to remain far after this particular crisis passes. Well, um, and this is out of the box. This isn't something you would expect to hear from me. I know you wouldn't, but I'm waiting for the environmentalists to weigh in on this. Because those hundred ships that are sitting off the coast of California are burning fuel, they're on their generators, and the human waste and everything is being dumped overboard, all these different types of things that happen. Meanwhile, if you think about the railroads, the railroads are the most efficient way to move product. And it, you could take one ton of freight 
and move it 480 miles on one gallon of fuel. Think about that. 480 miles on one gallon of fuel. So the, the goal should be to get as much of this cargo on the trains, whether it's Jacksonville, Houston, that should be the goal. That should be the driving force and solution to take the edge off of this. And nobody's talking. Kevin Garvey, UPS lifer, Arbutus lifer, Ehrlich friend lifer, not criminal lifer, but <laughs> my uh, great friend, my entire life. We cannot thank you enough for appearing on our show. Thank you for your expertise, my friend. We love you. Godspeed. Merry Christmas. And thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Kevin. Both of you. We appreciate it. It'll be interesting because this is another issue that strikes women as they go around and can't get what they're used to for their family. It'll be yep. very interesting if they keep this up, if they double down, if they don't come up with some solutions before the next election. You mean those same women who are now under investigation by the FBI for showing up the local school board? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Right. I'm thinking, I'm thinking they, about the mama bears in Virginia. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. You saw what they did. They exactly. voted Republican. <laughs> Thanks, Kev. Thanks, Happy Kev. Thanksgiving to you and the boys. Happy Thanksgiving Thank you. to you. And your Thank family. You. Okay, everybody. You heard it here. It's coming this week. Original, unconventional, and inconvenient. Donald J. Trump and his mega movement by Governor Bob like right here. Your husband. Right Your here. Hus It'll make you smarter. He is the best, the best writer there is. Best wife ever. Right and here. Uh, don't forget, everybody on your Christmas list should have one, no matter what their persuasion. <laughs> It'll make for interesting discussions, that's for sure. And some arguments. Hopefully not fights. Thank also, you all very much. Also, if you want to feel really good about yourself, restore your faith and common sense, please go to BobErlich.com so you can see all things Bob Ehrlich, and you'll feel better. So do it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. Godspeed.